Welcome to the Deadology Podcast. From Pencil Hill Studio, New Paltz, New York, I'm your host, Howard Weiner. Today is the 12th episode of the Deadology Podcast, and we're going to begin a new series, Underrated Gems. So this is Underrated Gems, Volume 1, and the concept here is to, to talk about some shows that have been overlooked, you know, kind of underrated. Um, as, as fans, we're always looking for uh, new, great, awesome versions to, uh, to discover. And I'm sure a lot of you are going to know, know these shows. But uh, the reason I say I'm underrated, I took one uh, common do- denominator uh, uh, for this series. Um, when I look at a show, I go to Dead Base and I look at Taper's Favorites. If anything's in the top 10 for that year as far as the show goes... That means it's probably not underrated. I look for uh, shows that are more, um, that end up at the bottom, that but are really happen to be good shows. Probably just a lot of people didn't have them at the time. The two shows I selected here are uh, Providence, Rhode Island, April 21st, 1971. That's in the uh, Rhode Island Auditorium. And the other show is a 1981 show, October 12th from Olympia Hall in Munich. Uh, Let's jump into that 1971 show. Um, Interesting, very interesting time for the Grateful Dead. Formative, uh, completely. um, In 1970 and 1971, the the Live Dead, their concerts really didn't have an identity like they had previously in 1969 or they would develop into in 1972. Um, and, and the reason for this, um, there were a lot of great shows, but it wasn't like a constant um, identity to the shows. And the reason being Robert Hunter. Uh, all his great songwriting and so many new songs had to go into the rotation that the Grateful Dead had to find a way to make them work in their live shows, um, as, as well as continuing their whatever songs they were keeping from 1969, the rotation. And it was quite a task with the amount of material that came in. Um, Just for starters, you got the new songs. In a two-year period, Robert Hunter was Dylan-esque in his great output, legendary output. Um, Just looking at the the material that ended up on albums, you got Working Man's Dead. You got the songs from American Beauty. Um, You got the new songs, um, which... February 71, they, they broke out in Porchester, which ended up on uh, Skull and Roses. You know, The Birth of a Loser. Um, well, Loser was not, wasn't on that album, but The Birth of Warfrat Songs. And then you had um, October 19th, 71. Uh, they broke out some of the originals that would be on Europe 72, The Jack Straws, Ramblin' Rose, etc. And also, uh, Garcia, the first Garcia solo album, uh, has a bunch of songs from this era, which Hunter uh, introduced. Also, Comes a Time, which ended up on Reflections, and a couple of songs on Bob Weir's solo album, Ace. So, in a two-year period, the Grateful Dead had this plethora of uh, new new compositions to work into their into their act. And so, the during those years, there were many great shows, but the the flow of the shows was always kind of evolving, or a work in progress. So April 21st, 1971, they're in Providence, Rhode Island. And I'd say there's shows from this era that are probably more, that are definitely more revered. Uh, the, the great Fillmore run from April 71 
And you got the Manhattan, Manhattan Center shows from earlier in the month. A lot of that material ended up on Skull and Roses. You got the Porchester shows with the beautiful jam from February where they broke out all those new tunes that would end up on Skull and Roses. So um, the Providence show kind of gets lost lost in this uh, era. There were a lot of, uh, before they, they came to Providence, they played a bunch of uh, college shows. Uh, so interesting time. And probably from my standpoint, I don't love this era as much as I do later in the year or a lot of the 1970s stuff. But, um, you know, it's definitely a point where they're evolving into into a different sound uh, for the band. So Providence, Rhode Island, a hotbed for Grateful Dead shows. They would play 20 there over the years. Um, 19 of them would come in the Providence Civic Center, which was the the venue that replaced uh, the where they played on April 21st, the Rhode Island Auditorium. The Rhode Island Auditorium was pretty much a hockey rink. Rocky, Rocky Marciano fought a bunch of fights there before he became a heavyweight champion. And there were, it doesn't have a big concert history, but some great bands did play there, including The Who and The Rolling Stones earlier in their career. So the, the Rhode Island Auditorium was officially torn down in 1989, but it was pretty much put out of business by the Providence Civic Center. Uh, so on April 21st, they open up with Casey Jones. And wow, what an awesome version this is. Um, these, these early versions of Casey Jones just have a power and a drive and a confidence that the dead are, are playing them with because they are totally excited about the song. I think when, you, when you're a band like the dead and you play Casey Jones almost every night for a three or four year period, uh, begins to lose a little bit of the gripping power. But uh, on this night, they were all into it, everything sounding great. Uh, by the way, throughout the show, Phil Lesh's bass is awesome. Um, it's uh, up in the mix on this, very clean sounding. So if you love, uh, love, your, love your Phil Lesh bass, this is a great, uh, a great recording to listen to. And uh, during KC, uh, Jerry's like totally into it, man. He's howling and hooting, trouble ahead, woo, doing stuff like that. So very, very cool opener. I, I like Casey Jones in the opening spot as opposed to an encore or ending the first set, which it did a lot. Um, and then we move on. Uh, we're going to do some country and some blues. Uh, Bob does uh, Mama Tried, a Merle Haggard uh, tune. And then they uh, seamlessly shift into the blues. Big Boss Man, uh, Pig Pen. And then it's right back to the, to the new songs. You got a, a great version of Loser. Um, I really like Jerry singing on this version. You can really tell he's coming of, of age as a vocalist. These uh, 71 early versions of Loser are very powerful. And then, dead, then the dead move on to fill up the middle of this awesome first set with a truckin' drums, other one, Warfrat. Uh, so let's start with uh, truckin', a uh, new tune off American Beauty. There's st it's still kind of rounding into shape. They don't have the resounding final instrumental that it would develop into uh, later in the year and by 1972. As we all know, um, this should be a famous slogan, everything's better in 72, which is a cool thing because uh, as a band, you want everything to keep getting better. So uh, Truckin' would definitely be a more f uh, formidable song, uh, Europe 72, moving forward, all those amazing versions. Um, like a tru Truckin' Drums other one here in, um, in Providence is 18 minutes long. Uh, if you go to Europe 72, a truck and drums other one is a good 45 minutes at a minimum. So, uh, yeah, you can see the difference of how it uh, developed over time. 
so the drums, not nice drum solo there. And then they uh, break into the other one. And uh, it's a pretty cool version. Um, once again, um, the versions from this era are not as great as 69 or 72. You know, in 69, you got that psychedelic whirlwind, the tight cyclone, and it's uh, sandwiched in cryptical envelopments. So now they've, they, for the most part, they stopped playing cryptical envelopments. They did it once in a while, but other one is kind of finding its its way on its own, which it would do. But in um, you know some of these seventy one versions is not as long, and they're kind of searching for the feel. Now the the cool thing about this other one, Phil's playing incredible bass. The the, the first solo leading into into the lyrics is very hot. Um, Jerry does some nice stuff, but, but this is one of the coolest fill jams you'll ever hear. It's, you just hear his bass lead so nicely, and it's almost like the band stepped back and let him uh, kind of lead the way on this one. And after the first verse, it gets into like a nice little trippy thing, uh, almost moving into like that territory where they would go in Europe 72, but not quite. So it's a, it's a satisfying version. It's pretty typical for the year. And then Warfrat. And man, these early versions of Warfrat are just so moving. Man, who doesn't love that Skull and Roses version, which was uh, recorded a couple weeks earlier? This is cut from the same cloth as that one. Excellent Warfrat, excellent singing. Uh, just a little bit. Of, it's still it's still obviously a, a ballad, a slow ballad, but a little quicker pace than it, it would become over the years. So very cool to hear these um, April '71 uh, uh, Warfrats. A great period for for that tune. So. You get like a nice chunk of what would be a second set stuck right in the middle of this first set. Oh, <laughs> and coming up, the next song is the the centerpiece of this whole show. It's it's mind-boggling. My favorite Pigpen song, Hard to Handle. And uh, a few years, uh, I wouldn't say a few years ago, maybe 20, <laughs> all, all the years roll into one, probably 20, 30 years ago, my friend Doug discovered this tape. He's got like, you got to hear this Hard to Handle it is the best, and no doubt for me, it beat it's beat every other version. I like it better than the Fillmore East versions, which are great on the 28th and 29th. Uh, you got that um, the one from the Phil Zone from Hollywood Palladium, I believe that's August 6th. There's a real hot one, uh, July 2nd, 71 from the Fillmore West. Um, but th this one for me easily uh, beats it because of the the amazing instrumental uh, jam. And Hard to Handle is uh, interesting how that song developed. Uh, it was always enjoyable, 69, 70, they're playing it, uh, good versions, no complaints. But in 71, they really found the stride. It was, um, you know, whatever it was. The, and this this isn't Pigpen singing, sang it great all, the whole time, but the band finally found a way to really put the song across with a powerful, you know, ending crescendo. And um, it, it definitely became my, my favorite Pigpen song. And I kind of went, they stopped playing it. Um, the last version they did was in the Bronx on uh, August 26, 71. And when Pigpen rejoined the band and later in 71 and for Europe 72, they just never brought Hard to Handle back. And it's a shame because I would have loved to hear a 72 version of Hard to Handle. I could only dream of what Garcia would have done with that. Uh, but this version, Pigpen singing is very strong. He has the nice contained rap on it. And man, they get down to business and they're, they're cooking and... You can just tell there's like a, a a truculent vibe to it as they as they break into the instrumental and everything is going smooth, and then it kind of swirls around a little, and they bring it down to a vortex. You know, they they, they get to a point where you just know that they're gonna blow the blow the top off on, on this thing. From the six minute mark in the instrumental, 
It's as if they loaded an atomic pinball and just launched it. And uh, instead of my words trying to describe it, let's listen to this amazing jam, which I think is the hottest, hard to handle. Unbelievable. Too hot to handle. A series of rolling crescendos that go where no handle has gone before. Really incredible. Kung Pao effing hot. All right. Awesome. Hard to handle. And then on the heels of that, they, they play like great selection here. That's one of the things that makes this first set so powerful. They bounce into Cumberland Blues and it just sounds so awesome after that handle. It's like such fire as they rip into it. A uh, really great version, and once again, Phil's bass is just unbelievable on this. Uh, so it's a real bouncing, upbeat Cumberland. Um, probably the, one of the better ones from this time period. I think they really started kicking it up a notch in 72, but a very, uh, very strong Cumberland blues. And then we move into the Janis Joplin tribute portion of this set, uh, Bird Song, um, new song that had just uh, been broken out at the uh, Capitol Theater in Port Chester a couple months earlier. And it's a trippy, I like the trippy sound of these early bird songs, although I think it would develop into much more powerful in the upcoming year. Uh, very good version. And then on the heels of bird song, they end the set with an excellent version of uh, Bobby McGee, me and Bobby McGee, little Chris Christopherson. And, uh, you know, this is what made the, the Grateful Dead so amazing, especially in, in this period. If you just look, you got all the great new Hunter tunes here, which are classics. But look at their their taste, their selection, their their choice. Uh, Merle Haggard's song, um, Otis Redding, Hard to Handle, Jimmy Reed, Big Boss Man, and then uh, Chris Christopherson, Me and Bobby McGee. And they made all these songs their own and fitted into exactly what they were doing, the magic of the Grateful Dead. And I'm not going to spend as much time on set two of the... Uh, of, the, of this show, it's a very it's a very good set, um, but they were 
when the band, uh, when they finished the first set, we were mentioned we're going to be right back. Five minutes, short break. And Jerry said, yeah, don't go nowhere, short break. So they probably were up against a little time constraint for this uh, second set. One of the reasons I think uh, this show is a little maybe overlooked from that period, I think this whole Europe 81 tour is underrated. There's a lot of great shows. And I think this one kind of got lost in the middle of all that. Um, You got the, especially towards the end of the tour, you got the Amsterdam show, which is an all-time classic where they come out with the acoustic, with rented equipment. And it's Bob Weir's birthday in the, in the second set that they, with, this, with the rented equipment, which gives it a completely different sound. They do Playing the Band, Holy Goalie, Gloria, the first love light since Pig's Passing. So, um, yeah, that's, that's such a standout show. And then uh, they played in Paris the following night. The Hippodrome, I think, was the name of the place. Uh, great show with a morning dew, a second set bird song, I believe. And the final show in Barcelona is another classic. Um, the only time uh, Jerry played in the home is of his ancestors on October 19th. So I think, uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons this, this show gets overlooked. Uh, it's stuck right in the middle of the Europe 81 tour, but you had that first set with the five uh, Europe 72 songs. And the up-tempo playing continues in set two. Um, they open up with Bertha. And there's Garcia just hit some silly licks on this. It's uh, you know comical the the kind of guitar licks that make you laugh out loud. And they're romping and rolling. They go into Samson and Delilah, uh, release some more mass energy in that tune. And then yeah, you have to give a, give a couple breaks in the the momentum was just it was out of control how how upbeat the show is. Um, Garcia was able. It was amazing how he could just take it down and switch the uh, switch the tempo. So they do a ship of fools, really nice, uh, pretty, well sung, and then it's off to the races again. Um, they go into estimated profit, um, very cool version. The the jam, uh, it's at times it sounds like it's going in eyes. Sometimes at times it sounds like they're looking for another song. You're not quite sure what's going on with it, but it's a very interesting outro jam. And then they they pull a uh, well a shocker. It was it was done in Buffalo a couple weeks earlier. They go estimated into going down the road feeling bad, and um, yeah. So the, this going down the road feeling bad. There's four no 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 version like it. Um, it's just feeding off the energy this night. There's four guitar solos. Um, I think I've heard one or two where they've done three. When when I heard this, it just it was, it's an outlier version. It just stuck out so much. There's four solos there. And some of them are just so quick, and the band is just firing. It's like, it's crazy. Um, you know, they can't, they can hardly settle into it. They were just like off to the races with all the energy in the world in these four jams. And a couple, and two of them are pretty long. Like the second solo here is just like as as quick as as the band could play. And you know, and then um, so they they do the final uh, chorus of going down the road feeling bad. And they throw in one extra jam for the road, man, for, for the going down the road feeling bad. And let's take a listen to that right now. Going down the road feeling bad. Going down the road feeling bad. Going down the road feeling bad, bad. Wanna be treated this way.
That's the type of night it was in Munich, Germany on October 12th. In the fast lane, full throttle. What a going down the road, feeling bad. Um, by the way, that's the second and last time that they did the estimated going down the road, feeling uh, feeling bad combo. And uh, once again, going back to that uh, dead base and um, what the people who were polled, uh, you know, their, their opinions on best shows and best versions, neither the hard to handle nor the going down the road feeling bad were even mentioned in best ever versions. I would put them as my favorites. But the, the going down the road feeling bad, um, it's really a matter of taste. There's so many great versions, and they especially seem to play uh, that song with a certain uh, fire when they were in Europe. They did it in Europe 72, and they did it again um, in 81 at this show. And uh, also the Amsterdam show has a smoking going down the road feeling bad. The the Amsterdam show from October 16th, 81 in the Milkweg. And moving forward, you got the estimated going down the road. That's five songs and Brent throws in Good Time Blues. Um, song I always kind of liked instrumentally. The lyrics never really hit the spot, but uh, good version. You know, the band's hammering the blues on this one. Uh, and then... Um, a common thing that happened in, well, not common, but it happened more often in 81 than other years. Um, before drums, they almost had to drag Jerry off stage. He just liked to stay up there and noodle and go into these little jams as he, as he did here um, after, after good times. But eventually the drums take over. And by the way, if you want to hear a great pre-drum Jerry noodling from this tour, the Barcelona show. Um, they do a sailor saint, one of the best saints you'll ever hear. Then after the saint, Garcia just goes off for like six minutes by himself. It's like a soliloquy. And, uh, that one's worth, definitely worth checking out. Uh, so you got the little Jerry jam going into a drum solo and coming out of space. They got not fade away. The easy breezy kind of version, uh, from this time period where they kind of, uh, uh, almost, uh, not what the 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 feeling of this. There were strange versions. They were they were really good because they were different. But coming out of space into not not fade away that easy breezy feeling, um, and some good jamming. Pretty you know long version about ten minutes long, um, and then it gives way to Stella Blue, and this Stella is a classic man. Jerry's just singing with all, all the heart and soul he can. Excellent version of Stella, and this time period had great Stellas. You know, the, the interesting thing about Stella was 78, they played some really hot jams on it. Um, in the early days, here and there, they would hit some great outro solos. When 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 the when Jerry and the band took the time to develop the outro solo on this, the song could approach Morning Dew as far as, you know, just being a in its, in its majesty. It's that great of a song. But more often than not, they cut it short, the uh, outro solo, and really didn't do too much with it, a little moody thing, and then they'd uh, belt into something else but in late 81 they really dug into these Stella Blues there's a great version from October 6th might beat this one by a little bit and also Boulder Colorado December 9th crazy man you, you got to hear that Stella Blue insane but um yeah so they after you know a, a brilliantly sung version very poignant uh the band takes their time whips around the Stella Jam for about three four minutes you know, it kind of seems like they're in, but it comes back in a bigger cyclone, round and round. Jerry and the band just, you know, working it over. And then it goes into what, it almost seems like a natural fit Stella going into a round and round. 
And then uh, the show closes out around and around good loving, good versions, good little kitty cookout. And so we used to call, you know, the around and around good lovings or, you know, the uh, throwing stones not fade away kitty cookouts. Um, yep, yeah, but I must have got the, the crowd very happy around and around good loving. And then U.S. Blues to close it out. But overall, a very, very hot show. So anytime you could get a show where you got like all time great versions of Cat Rider and going down the road and even that Stella, I would definitely be in my top 10 Stellas. Um, that that's what makes the show stand out for me. Besides, you know, overall, there's you know good song selection, you know some surprises in there. Um, you know, same thing with the Providence, the very very hot first set, uh, great versions. You know, the hard to handle. So these are two shows. If you hadn't heard them, definitely worth digging out. And um, this this um, under this, there it is, underrated gems, volume one. Um, I figure I'll do this uh, type series every. Uh, five six weeks see if i can find a couple shows that are probably not you know not as well heralded as you know as great shows and um because i think as fans we're always looking uh to find something great that we never heard before and the beautiful thing about the grateful dead archive it, there's so much we'll never we'll never get to all of it so um yeah, i think this is worthwhile it was uh, recommended by uh some of my my listeners to do this so i think it's a cool uh cool uh theme for the show and um, that's episode 12. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. Thanks for listening. Uh, my website, tangledupintunes.com. Um, obviously, you can follow the uh, Deadology podcast, Apple, Spotify, uh, wherever you uh, download your, your podcasts. Next week is Halloween. I think you know what that means. Tricks, treats, and scary stuff. Uh, Grateful Dead had an amazing long history of playing shows on Halloween. Um, yeah, that awesome one, 1971, Dick's Picks Volume 2. We'll talk about that. And other great highlights from October 31st in Deadology. Until then, have fun. Go see live music. Stay safe. Peace out. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a few minutes, so everybody hang loose.